ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the podcast. Welcome back to the Red Wedding, as we're calling this one. Um, it's 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 a very weird day because because uh, I'm still processing whatever Rihanna and I saw yesterday. And fun fact, Rihanna and I did get a chance to watch this game together. Um, of course, I'm talking about Liverpool United. Um, but before we even get into any of that, I it legitimately took me a day, Rihanna, to process Arsenal that game, which was wonderful to watch if no one, uh, anyone listening did not watch it. Um, then Atletico Sevilla for me on the La Liga side. And then this game, this was all too much. This was all way too much for one weekend. I did not need that sort of chaos. I need a break. I cannot believe the Champions League is back tomorrow, or at least time recording tomorrow. Um, yeah, just a lot, just a lot to process. Process heavy weekend. That's what, that's what we're going for. How are you doing? You you had today off. You enjoyed um, a fun evening last night, obviously with uh, with your sister. So, any any feedback that you'd like to give any SZA fans? Oh no, no, that was a, a oh yeah. I mean, look, I, I, that was my first. Not only was it my first SZA concert, but it was also my first concert at um, Madison Square Garden, which was nice, a blast. Just yeah. A, really really great um it's, it's not gonna be a surprise to anyone it's a great concert venue <laughs> like, yeah. it's, no, it's a great no one's surprised venue. by that <laughs> actually very few people are surprised by that yeah entirely. but since it was a great performer herself like my sister was saying it afterwards like most of the time uh at a lot of concerts she's not sure that she ends up like enjoying it because the person just ends up staying on the stage and then just like st- dancing or whatever singing and dancing from the stage and or whatever and it feels like okay, I could have just done this at home. This is not that much different. <laughs> but no, since it was like, she was like up near the roof, like elevated, moving around. And then um, there was like some kind of like movement in the in the stage itself. There was like a, there was cool props. It was a huge like boat and a huge anchor up in the stage at one point. And uh, it was a lot of fun. It was honestly just like a, a great end to the weekend, really. Like it was like a cleanser from from the Saturday and Sunday of, of watching soccer, like watching a lot of soccer. Not even just like Europe. I was watching, uh, obviously, watch the Union on Saturday. Unfortunately, which was a, a loss from two bangers against Miami. But uh, the since the concert was great, a great like kind of end to the weekend. Amazing. Yeah, I mean, I don't really want to talk about the Union game as we briefly discussed in person yesterday. <laughs> um, but I'm glad the concert was good. I I don't know if I forget if I mentioned this yesterday. I went to go have Ethiopian food last night at my favorite restaurant in the city, which is in Brooklyn. It's called Oh, I'm muted myself. But if anyone is uh is interested, Kinet in Brooklyn is just such a good spot for Ethiopian food. And and I told my friends yesterday I said the reason why I know it's such a good spot is because I cannot tell the difference between their cooking and my family's cooking. And that is like a very high, high bar to reach. So once that's a great, that's a, that, that should be your review. That's so <laughs> you should leave the review and say that I should exact say that. <laughs> yes, I, I actually should. Um, I might do that. I, I love the owners and love, love the restaurant. So um, highly recommend if anyone's in Brooklyn and wants to go have Ethiopian food, definitely go there. Rian, let's move on and talk about a little bit of whatever we saw this past weekend. Tell tell me where you want to start. I have a feeling it's going to be with the Liverpool United game. There's a part of me that almost wants to start with the Arsenal game because I, not that I have like a personal investment in Arsenal, but I have semi been an Arsenal fan for several years. Just they're my Premier League team. 
Um, just I don't talk about it that much because there hasn't really been much to talk about for the last like six years. But um, Rian, I'm sure you want to start with Liverpool United, correct? Yeah, and, and look, I, I totally feel for you because as someone who has a literal personal investment in this Arsenal <laughs> season for, in, into how the rest of this Arsenal season goes, um, I will be excited when we get to that point. Nice. That, to that uh, topic. But no, let's start, let's start at Anfield. Um, with Manchester United going away to Liverpool and um, after what felt like a close first half, we left the second half and the 90 minutes with what is probably the res- the scoreline of the season right now, for, for at least for England. Well, I mean... Not not for England, but for Europe, <laughs> I would probably say. This is one of the biggest fixtures in the world, and United faced their greatest loss ever in the Premier League. They had never lost by six or more goals um, up until now, and Mo Salah became Liverpool's all-time leading goal scorer in the Premier League. So I, I don't I, – I think that's pretty much a recipe for greatest game of the season by far in all of Europe. It's not even close. Um the funny thing, and you, you mentioned it, let's, let's jump into the first half, right? You mentioned that that first half felt pretty even. I would actually argue that this was a better half in terms of pressure and in terms of performance from Liverpool, but United still created a majority of the chances. They had four clear-cut chances all the way from Rashford's mishit to Bruno Fernandes' missed header or just header that went slightly wide um, to a header from Casemiro that went in, but he was offside. United still had their chances, and it wasn't like they they fell flat in that first half. Now, obviously, towards the end of the first half, incredible, incredible play to find um, Cody Gakpo from, from Robertson. But I will say, this is the thing, and I, and I said this to you during halftime, the thing for me that stood out to me about United and why I felt like they were still not fully in control of the ball is because of Ten Hag's decision to actually adapt a, a man-to-man type defensive structure. And I think that really, really worked out in Liverpool's favor because A, and I said this to you as well, I thought Juan Bissaka should have started this game almost purely for the reason that you kind of saw in that first goal, at least to get closer to someone like uh, Robertson and to be able to apply more pressure than someone like Dallow did. That's just one microcosm of it. Secondly, and what I think is a broader issue for United in that first half was the ability for Liverpool to press consistently is not something that we've seen this entire season. In fact, we haven't seen it in like a year, at least that intensity and that cohesiveness, we'll, we'll call it. And I don't think United expected that. And so Ten Hag going man-to-man against Henderson, Harvey Elliott, and Fabinho, I would take United in terms of ball retention. I would take them in terms of progressive carries probably as well. It was just the complete opposite based on the fact that quite honestly, Liverpool just showed up that I I think it actually comes down to Liverpool actually showing up. And I think this goes to show that as difficult as things have been for Liverpool this season, and even going back to, let's say that 2014 to 2017 era, when things were really difficult Anfield is a very difficult place to go and that has not changed. It probably will never change. And I think you felt that and just listening to the crowd throughout the game. So those are my takes on the first half. And, um, 
you know, kind of just showing that Liverpool, I think we're, we're still a, we're probably the dominant side, quote unquote, in this first half, but United could have been two nil up and no one would have questioned that. I think. Yeah. You, you bring up the whole, that's the whole, that's the crux of the sport, right? Like in, in weeks past, honestly, months past for United um, and a lot of these games that they've won, they've taken one of those chances, right? They've gotten on top and then you know, they've been able to either protect that lead very well from being like very solid defensively, or they push on and they're able to, as the game like opens up, they're able to get the next goal or, or uh, just, you know, like I said, they've been really good defensively anyway. So they've been able to, to win games by a goal <laughs> um, multiple times as well, but they didn't get the first goal this time. Uh, and, as you said, Liverpool showed up in that first half. I mean, obviously we know they showed up in the second half too, but like throughout this entire game, their pressing, their counter pressing was fantastic. Um, and, and that's what's been the whole deficiencies this season. That's like the crux of the deficiencies this season. For about five straight years, five, six years, we saw how difficult and how elite this team is when the pressing is right and that's the fine margins with how they play right this season we've seen a lot of like the other side of it right? it is such a risk to play though in the intensity like the high press that they play in uh and the risk is if you're not getting it right then you they, you put up the defensive performances that we've seen from them most of this season but when they do get it right they look unstoppable like this because as much as you know, Darwin has had his struggles this season and, and his struggles have literally been just putting the ball in the back of the net. Right. Um, up, up until as, that real Madrid match where he decided yeah. I'm actually going to make it harder for myself and still put it in <laughs> the back of the net, but exactly. Yeah. yeah. As much as like those struggles have been apparent as much as, you know, Gakpo's hat has been, played basically all across the entire front third, like for them trying to figure out how, uh, how that dynamic is going to work out. Their attack has been good the entire season. Like they, the creating chances has not been the, the issue with them, right? They're, they're third. They've got the third highest XG in the league um, or second highest now, but had the third highest XG up until. <laughs> that one, wait, that one game changed it. <laughs> yeah, <That's> yeah. Hilarious. <laughs> but um, you know, they were third going into this this last uh week or two. And I think you can honestly say that the switch not in just in this game, but in the last four or five games since leading into that Everton win, really their pressing was all over the place. They were really, really poor stopping transitions. We saw that. And even when they did get chances and they were able to put them away, no lead was really safe for themselves, right? Um, going into that Everton game, their passes per defensive action was around 11. They conceded about one and a half goals per game and conceded all the, uh, almost two XG per game, right? Pressing's off, everything else falls apart. Against United on Sunday, 
that passes per defensive action was down to about six against against United. Since that Everton game, like including that Everton game, in in the five games that Liverpool or six games that Liverpool have played in, the passes per defensive action have been down to around eight. They've conceded zero goals. They've allowed less than one XG per game, and they had five clean sheets in all those games as well. So that is really the story of not only Sunday for Liverpool, but also these last five, six games, you know, ex- obviously excluding the game against Real Madrid here. I'm talking about Premier League games specifically, but that's where the success has come back for them. And I think the big question now is how realistic is it that they could sustain this for the rest of the season, right? Because I, I maybe you saw something, Elias, but I haven't re- I have not realized exactly yet what they're what they might be doing defensively that has changed it. Um, or how much of his, you know, maybe some guys are just being able to get rotated. What I don't know exactly what it is that has made the pressing so much better recently. Um, but their front, their pressing from the forward line and the midfield line has been much better. And that's kind of the big difference. And I'm, I'm not 100% sure that it, that's, that they'll be able to sustain this for the entirety of the rest of this season. But um, that is really going to be the difference, I feel like, between them finishing top four and not. Yeah, you, you mentioned what have, you know. What have I seen that's improved their pressing over the last, um, let's say, three games at this point? Um, uh, quite honestly, I don't think it's the obvious answer. Like we we look at it from like a midfield standpoint. You always kind of look at that midfield and say, oh, you know, what has changed in terms of athleticism, in terms of personnel? Has anything improved there? I don't think anything has markedly improved. I think the players just played better against United, obviously. And over the last two, three weeks, I think have played better to your point since, since that Everton game. But I think the actual difference has been the forward line because this is, I think, the first time where you've seen all three of Salah, Gakpo, and Nunez. A, first time they've all three of them, I believe, have scored in one game. Um, and secondly, it's the first time where I've seen them cohesively press and successfully press in in this game i don't look at this united side and think they did a poor job with playing out of the back the only the only individual i can blame for for poorly progressing the ball out of the back for united is de gea but that's been a problem that's been around for years like this isn't new so i'm not looking at that as revolutionary what i do think was potentially a, a turning point what could be a turning point in their season is how the front three press you see that darwin nunez is very much a vertical runner, I think, at times when it comes to pressing, whereas Cody Gakpo and Mosala very much come from outside in or inside out, depending on the structure, but largely outside in. And I think what that does is it forces any goalkeeper to play that ball long, or if you're Manchester City, somehow dink it over all three of them, like do something weird. Um, but for the most part, you're playing that ball long if you're a goalkeeper with those front three pressing. I think that plays into Liverpool's hands because Liverpool are a very good team at short pressing, right? And being able to, in small spaces, recover the ball. And I think statistically that kind of shows what you were talking about. I think that just starts with the forward line. And that's what you're starting to see. And the big question mark, really big question mark, is can they do this for the rest of the season? I have no idea because this came out of nowhere. <laughs> they might as well just go and lose to Bournemouth at this point. I, I don't know if they're going to do that. <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, now that would be a shock. That would be an unbelievable shock for them to go and, and lose to Bournemouth at this point. But um, yeah, they're only four points off of Spurs now in, in fourth or three points off of Spurs in fourth place. Uh, yeah, it'll be, it, I, 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 I'm, I'm skeptical that it can continue at this intensity for the rest of the season. Um, I think a lot of it will, as you pointing out, it will rest on the forward press because again, those midfielders haven't changed. It's the same group of guys. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm hesitant that, that that will consistently improve for the rest of the season, but we'll just have to see. Right. You also mentioned it there with United that you didn't think they'd played necessarily poorly. Right. And I, and I honestly would err to the same side as you, I, I guess overall, no, no. I, so, so, <laughs> I mean, overall, my question to you is going to be like, how concerned should they be about this performance, right? Um, you just said you didn't think they played necessarily poorly. I know for for me, and I'll just say this before I let you jump back in, that from this game, I don't think that I learned anything new about, you know, the limitations that I thought there were in, in this United team and how good they are at this current moment. That that I'm going to disagree with you on. I'm, I'm going to disagree with you on the learning something new. I will say, I, I stand by the point, I don't think Man U, Mitch United were an overly poor side, you know, over the course of 90 minutes. I think that shows in the fact that they had multiple shots on goal, they had multiple shots, and quite frankly, they had uh, a lion's share of the chances in the first half. What I learned in especially that second half is Manchester United are more susceptible to individual errors than I thought they were. And I didn't think that, for example, any combination of Lissandra Martinez, Varane, Casemiro, and whatever Oscar Bruno Fernandez is winning is, quite frankly, like, I, I, didn't, I just didn't expect that. Like, I guess, is, is, is that kind of thought that that they were susceptible that they're susceptible to individual errors is that something that you just didn't think they were uh was a weakness of them anymore like in like recently i thought or is it like you know, we saw them lose four nil to, to brentford and we saw them lose four what was it four one to brighton at the early in the season so they have shown that they can. They've shown that. No, no, no. The no. players can capitulate. One hundred percent. But I don't think that game against Brentford, for example, was down to individual error. And if you, if you think back to what happened in that game, structurally, United were defensively in shambles. Like there, in fact, there was no structure that I could like cohesively think about. The difference in this game here is both of Salah's goals came from ping pong. Like that again is ridiculous. So yeah, let's, no, that's a. That's yeah. a great point. Like Let's, the whole second, the second half. Yeah. The reason why I'm ultimately not super concerned for United, I still think they're good. I still, I still would bet on them finishing in the top four where, whether it's third or fourth, I, I don't know, but um, that second half, it's, it gets, it gets a bit crazy, right? Because Liverpool scores on almost every shot on goal they had. I think they ended with eight shots on goal and it scored, but seven. seven. I think seven, they scored seven. on their first. I think they scored on on their first seven shots on goal. Yeah. So like, um, it gets a little crazy, right? The the solid goal where the where, granted, United did poorly playing out of the back there, right? That that's what led to the goal. But the, the fact that the ball bounces 
perfectly in his stride for him to to volley it with almost with like two. The only all he did was turn, take one step, and and volley it towards goal, and, and he was scoring. It's like how and you warm up when you're like seven years old and you're trying to practice <laughs> taking a shot for the first time. Yeah, he may as well like thrown the ball up with his own hands for himself and volleyed it right. Uh, and then his second goal as well. Like you know, obviously Liverpool does all the work to get this luck. Like they they make their own luck a hundred percent. But uh, the fact that the, even his second goal, the ball bounces. I, I think Shaw's trying to clear it, and it bounces off of, I think, a Liverpool player and goes directly <laughs> into Mo Salah's feet from two yards out and no goalie in net. Like, I, I think that the scoreline is going to hurt terribly. It's going to hurt a lot if you're a United fan. It's, that's that's a terrible feeling to lose 7-0 to your, to your biggest rival, right? But... Honestly, like it's weird to say, but shit happens. Like they were outplayed in the second half. They'll be upset with how poor they were at actually. Their passing was poor. They weren't good at actually playing out. That's not something that I thought they were particularly great at before, anyway. So that's where I'm like, I, I don't, I didn't learn anything new in terms of how of like their limitations. We love Casemiro, fantastic defensive midfielder, is a good passer when he has space and time. But he's not someone that you rely on to be like your main ball progressing midfielder, right? And we know that you wouldn't do that for Fred either. So like it, it the limitations are what they are for United. They're 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 a flawed team for sure. They're not at City or Arsenal's level, but they're they're progressing. And we know that they still need they still need players there's still players that are needed into key positions for them and uh i think this one's gonna hurt for a while and they still haven't and they haven't won at liverpool at anfield for seven seasons i learned yesterday so it's gonna hurt a lot scored more than one goal against liverpool at anfield since 2017 i believe yeah 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 i think i think that might be the last time they won (laughs) so um yeah it's gonna hurt terribly this is gonna hurt terribly for for a little while um but i don't think they should go crazy over the actual result how they how they, they shouldn't go they shouldn't go crazy over the performance you were outplayed 100 percent, but this team is still on a good path forward yeah 100 agreed um last just shout out i want to give is to mosala for becoming liverpool's highest leading or top goal scorer in the premier league uh, of all time he has cemented himself as certainly Liverpool legend, um, and I can't think of a a better person, a better player to to sit upon that mantle now, especially in the circumstances that it, that it happened. Um, and you kind of saw him just. I think he probably realized when he took his shirt off and just sort of lost his mind that he was like, "Damn, this really this really happened." Um, so I just want to give Matt Flower before we move on to to the next piece where we talk about quite honestly one of my favorite games of the season too. <laughs> yeah, I, I love it. You, you, we ended the game of the week with flowers and yeah. moving on more for, for Arsenal. Ellis, you want to take it away for Arsenal's dramatic comeback? Another one. Ridiculous. Actually ridiculous. Um, Reese Nelson take a bow. And, and I, I will never forget this because it was very punctual and very vivid in my head. But Reese Nelson came on around... I want to say the 60th minute, somewhere in there, like late 50s, early 60s. And 
the commentator on NBC said, "Oh, imagine if Reese Nelson comes on and really helps his team to to win here. What a what a statement that would be from the young man who's uh, sort of fallen out of the starting eleven for for Arsenal. It was never really cemented, but you know what I mean. And um, he went on to get one of the goals of the season and then an assist as well. Um, what?" What a performance from Reese Nelson showing up in literally the best possible positions to both create and to finish, obviously, for his team. I have watched that goal so many times since that game because not just because it's such a like historic moment and possibly like one of the most more season defining moments for Arsenal in their potential Premier League winning campaign. The technique that it requires to take a volley like that is world-class. Think about how hard that is to do for literally anyone that you've tried to see do a volley. And then think about doing that against a Premier League side in the 97th, 98th minute of a game, with that being the last kick of the game. That is elite. That is so outrageous to me. Um, I've watched it in English. I've watched it in Spanish. I've watched it in Arabic. I'm going to go back and probably watch the rest of them. I thought it was genuinely one of the goals of the season just because of how sweet the moment must have been for him as well. Um, but yeah, quite frankly, Bournemouth are not a good side. Uh, they were incredibly lucky to be in this position 2-0 up against Arsenal. I mean, look, did they bottle it? Yeah, but quite frankly, they probably were not going to win it, like almost regardless of where this team was in, in this position. And that is, again... Truly, I don't mean anything personal against a slight, or there's no slight here against Bournemouth. I have family that literally live there, but yeah, they're they're just simply not as good of a team. Run me through the stats, Rian. Oh no, they they're they're terrible. They are terrible. I mean, like, like, <laughs> respectfully, respectfully, they are the worst team in the league. I wish I wish I could change the caption or the title of this pod to "respectfully terrible." <laughs> but um. Yeah, but I mean, before jumping into like the the nitty gritty of the game, back to like, you wa- watching it so many times. I've watched it so many times just because of the reactions of all the players on the pitch um, as that goal goes in. Like guys falling to their knees on both teams and falling to the ground on both sides. Um, Arsenal players just running in like random directions, like not even necessarily everyone running to, <laughs> to uh, Reese Nelson, but like Saliba just runs off like towards the fans, and and everyone's just like the running in completely different directions. And um, now the moment of it, it was fantastic, and and uh, that, and then Inketia's goal against United of what was it last month to win that game, similar, very similar vibes to to how that the uh, eruption of, of emotions that happens in this, that can happen in this sport. It's like just such a great advert for not the Premier League, not just the Premier League, but this sport, just how things can change so quickly. Um, so yeah, beautiful game, honestly, a beautiful, beautiful game. I, I had it up while I was watching the Chelsea game, which we might touch on at the end of the <laughs> this. But do we uh, have to talk about unfortunately, that? Like, unfortunately, yeah. it was, that, that, that was on at the same time. Um, so I didn't get to feel the full uh, feelings of that Arsenal <laughs> last minute winner. But, but I was watching when Nelson hit it. Um, and it was nothing more than Arsenal deserved, honestly. You touched on it. Uh, Bournemouth. Unbelievable job to be up 2-0 at any point in that game because their goal <laughs> happens 
first minute, like just a routine, just a kickoff routine the, that Arsenal don't deal with very well. And hats off to Bournemouth. They executed it perfectly. They scored that, uh, got really close a second time in that half on a counter. And it was a great save by uh, Ramsdale. Right. And then could have put Bournemouth up to nil. They end up going up 2-0 anyway, beginning of the second half on a set piece on a corner, right? And those are those three chances are their best chances and pretty much the only chances they create the entire game. They end up having four shots, but Arsenal end up with 31 shots. Arsenal end up with 73 touches in Bournemouth's box versus Bournemouth having four touches in, <laughs> in, in Arsenal's box. And Arsenal end up... Yeah, almost three, almost tripling, or sorry, really doubling um, Bournemouth in terms of XG. And really just another game where Arsenal end up getting the three points in a game that they played better than the other side. And I know I've talked about it before, but this is just not something that happens a lot in this sport, (laughs) like to win uh almost 90% of like 90, 95% of the games where you play better than the other side and just kind of like to illustrate it for this season specifically. So Arsenal have accumulated more XG than their opponent in 20 of the 26 Premier League games. They've dropped points in just two of those games. Great, like unbelievably great to, to create better chances than the other side in, in that many games. But then also an element of luck that they've only dropped points twice in, in that span, right? For City, they have accumulated more XG than their opponent in 23 of the 26 games this season. They've dropped points in five of those games. And when we look at the gap right now, and I don't know, I, I didn't check exactly how many points were dropped in each of those games for, for each side, but the gap right now is five points. And when you're talking about just a few games where a few more games from city where they played better than the other side and haven't gotten the win. That really is like the margins right now. I feel like this is also an argument for saying XG doesn't matter because you could uh, extrapolate that argument, right? Based on what you're saying. <laughs> I I don't think so. I, I don't think that's what I would take from it. I mean, look, it, it all depends on how you're on. It has depends on how you define, I guess, XG to to kind of tell the story of a game. It's it's not a model is meant to say, oh, this team should have won, right, or, or deserve to win, right? Because as we know, at the end of the day, it's just whether you score or not, right? But more in the sense of even when you are creating better chances than the other side. You don't need XG to know this. You just like we've watched. If you've watched this sport long enough, you've you've seen it happen. You might watch this sport for two weeks and you'll see it happen twice to your own side, right? Like true, you can true. play better than the other team and not win, and it's actually very normal for it to happen. Uh, for it to happen as little as it, for it to um not go in Arsenal's favor as as infrequently as it has is the real like kind of. If you're looking for whatever magic, if we want to call it, if we're looking for whatever magic that Arsenal has right now in terms of winning the league, that like that would be what I that's the magic that I think that they have right now is that um they're they're 
right now defying the variance gods. Not the variance gods. <laughs> Not them. Uh, yeah, I look, I, I've said my piece on Arsenal. I think it's interesting. The, the Manchester City piece of this is interesting because I'd be curious what the last three seasons look like as well, especially compared to that Liverpool season where they won by what was it one point, I think at the time. Um, I'd be very curious to see what sort of the XG extrapolation over the season was, the difference in drop points over XG difference uh, over a certain period, because that to me, while it doesn't obviously prove that XG is irrelevant, what it does prove is that this game is razor thin in terms of margins and margins for error. Razor thin. I mean, look at the Arsenal game. Literally. Like, that's... Uh, yeah, I think we proved our point there. But, Rian, let's move on with um, some of the flowers we'd like to, sh to give out and hand out as we approach spring, too, actually. Um, are Brighton still in the race for top four? Like, low-key? Or are West Ham just terrible? Because both can be true, I guess. Because both... Yeah, I think both can definitely be true. But... <laughs> I don't think it's mutually exclusive. And I would I would say both are true with West Ham not seeing Skamaka play for a while consistently or Antonio score for what seems like since the World Cup at this rate. Um, and Brighton continue a wonderful run of form under Deserby. Um, McAllister is probably my favorite player on that team. And I know you want to say Matoma for obvious reasons. And there's a great story there. But I think McAllister, the more I watch Brighton, I'm realizing is truly the engine that this team progressively runs through. And um, I think he scored the penalty at the the weekend for, for Brighton. But outside of that, I think he's he's just he's such a fun player to watch. Doesn't look Argentinian at all, but like <laughs> just a very fun <laughs> player to watch. No, he is an extremely versatile, right? When he first broke into this team, he was playing a bit more advanced and Basically, during this season, I think very, very late on in, in Potter's reign, and then when Deserby came in as well, he started playing further back, right, and and, and more in that uh, double pivot role, and, and or part of like a midfield three. So he, he's he's been fantastic to watch all season. I I've, I've really enjoyed um, McAllister as well, and I think yeah, I think they shouldn't be forgotten in the race for it. A four nil hammering of, of West Ham and they were like value, good value for that win. It was it was there was no luck about it. They completely outplayed West Ham. They created beautiful chances and, and scored on most of them. And I think what some people are kind of letting slip through the cracks is that yes, they are down in, I believe, like seventh or eighth right now, but they're still only seven points off of fourth place with three games in hand. Right? So I, I know that people are talking about. I didn't know that. It's not, it's, <laughs> yeah. not, it's not, as you would say, a clean seven. No, no, not at all. No, not a clean seven. Like, like Tottenham, Tottenham is not a clean seven up or, wow, I, I just ended up saying seven up in a sentence like, unintentionally. <laughs> the, oh, uh, okay. Anyway, funny where my brain goes. Like, yeah, but. Thinking about Brighton in general, in this calendar year, in 2023, they played seven games. They picked up 14 points from them, um, scored 15 goals, conceded only five. And their expected goal difference is plus one and a half per game in those in that span as well. And that's that is that's top four like, form. 
That's like that's like top two form, basically, yeah. right? Like that's one of the best teams in the league type of form. Uh, so I just think people should not should not forget about them, right? And 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 it's not just this span. Look at at the entire season; they've got the fourth best expected goal difference per game in the league, better than Liverpool's, better than Tottenham's, better than Manchester United's. So just I just think. They should not be forgotten. This, it, 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 I would think that like putting them out of the conversation it is about the same as when last season we were like, "Oh, City are like way off the the, the, the first place, like eight points off when they had like four games in hand or something yeah. like that." Like, I, I just, like, what happened? Yeah. So I just don't be surprised if they're if you know a month from now they're like a couple points off of fourth or or they're in fourth place or something like that like very very close and definitely in the race and um i i expect them to especially when you factor in that unlike those three teams i just mentioned brighton are in no other competitions for the rest of the season that's that's going to be extremely underrated of a factor because every other team around them is to my knowledge in a competition of some sort uh so that's gonna i think actually play into this significantly and you're starting to see that with real madrid for example in la liga um so just take that for what it's worth anyway rion i don't even think there's much else to say with west ham we we sort of touched on it flipping over to our disappointments um are both west ham and leicester in a legitimate relegation battle right now and if they are who do you believe is more likely to go down mm, wow well to, to your first question i think it'd be easier to count who is not in the relegation battle at this point correct <laughs> uh, we've got nine teams from 12th to 20th of course separated by six points right now <laughs> and, and, which includes west ham and lester and and we Talked about it last week. If Leicester were to lose this game against Southampton, they would be immediately, like, everyone would start talking about it again, that they are in trouble for relegation. Uh, Leicester obviously losing 1-0 to Southampton. West Ham, we mentioned it, they lost 4-0 to Brighton. And they are just both fully in the, in the elimination chamber right now. It's just nine teams just... Uh, just going to be kind of a bloodbath down there for them because they're a lot of them are going to play each other over the next um, couple months as well, right? So, I think to answer your question, I would probably I still feel that, that West Ham are, are are more likely. I think West Ham are more likely to get out of it, um, especially with the stats that I brought up last week. Like Leicester are genuinely one of the five have played one of the as one of the five or six worst teams in the league this season just on average on form everything um west ham are a more curious case because looking at their expected goal difference per game last season and comparing it this season it was around like very very close to zero last season it's very very close to zero this season which would put them in that kind of like mid-table range the big difference for them is they were a plus nine in goals to expected goals last season. This season, they're negative eight goals to expected goals. That's huge. 
that's that, yeah. <laughs> and you're talking about that that could be like three four points that we're talking about <laughs> are you like more potentially more yeah potentially more yeah depending on when, when the goals are are scored right so like that is that is the big difference i think with them this season um so i, I i'm less worried about them I, I don't know how they're gonna get the goals i, I think they need skamaka to be healthy for a long period of time, which has not happened. Uh, they obviously need more from Mikel Antonio, but he's declining, and I don't think they can expect a lot more from him. So until they kind of fix the goals issue, and that is the hardest thing to do in the sport, so there's no guarantee that that happens, if, right? If, if everyone <laughs> had an answer to that question, there would be no relegation, right? Yeah, it'd, be, it'd literally be like those utopia pictures, like, <laughs> like the world if everyone actually scored the chances that they that they um, created, right? <laughs> literally that, literally that. <laughs> That's so but, real. But, but I don't know. How about you, Alice? Do Do you have a favorite of the two teams that you think would stay up? In terms of staying up, I'd probably lean Leicester um, because I think they they have a better chance based on player availability, and quite frankly, I have more faith in Brendan Rodgers than I do David Moyes right now. Um, I would say James Madison actually kind of tweeted this earlier, like in response to, I think it was an athletic article actually, just about how things are going sour at Leicester, et cetera, et cetera. Um, But he was pretty adamant that they're going to be fine, and this is kind of just like a a rut, if you will, kind of like we all go through in life. I think what worries me more about West Ham is, quite frankly, both of these teams are defensively a mess, but I would say Leicester have a better chance of doing the hardest thing in the sport, which is scoring goals right now. And I'd not, I did not think that I would be in the position to say that um, based on who both of these teams have up top. Um, so yeah, I, I'm leaning Leicester and I don't know, actually, I'm going to double check this. I was going to say, I don't know when or if Leicester play West Ham the rest of the season. Oh, great. <laughs> Guess who plays in the last day of the season? <laughs> oh, man. There's going to be like, there's going to be like six games that are relegation six pointers on the final day of the season where right. <laughs> the teams could go down. Yep. Unbelievable. Yep. Yeah. So Leicester um, play West Ham on the last day of the season. So that will be very fun. <laughs> yeah. And, and, I, and I think. You know, to play devil's advocate to my to myself to my own like, prediction between West Ham and Leicester, uh, West Ham are still in the Conference League, and they would be seen as favorites in a lot of their games. You know, right? Like, th- there's a good chance they could make it very deep into the in Conference League, and so that is definitely a an argument for Leicester over over West Ham. A hundred percent. I did not think about that at all. Too, uh, quite frankly, I don't really think about the Conference League that much, unfortunately. Um, but that's a very, very good point. Rian, I, I hate to bring it up, but we do have to talk a little bit about Chelsea. Maybe not necessarily as a disappointment, but how about as a growth period? Looking forward to the Dortmund game coming up um, Tuesday this week. And Spurs, I believe, play Milan on, I want to say it's Wednesday, right? I think I got that schedule right. Um, I don't know if you want to talk about Chelsea's first goal in like a month, plus their first win in what feels like three. Um, but... I'll let you have your moments of peace with it or, or say your piece on it. And then we could preview the, the Champions League because I don't really know what to make of Chelsea right now. They're kind of the antithesis yeah. to Real Madrid. 
I suppose so. I don't know. I don't even know. <laughs> but, um, yeah, look, that they, they win against one, no win against. Oh, gosh. I'm already forgetting who it was against. I've already tried to put Please. that game out of my memory. Yeah. It was so, such a terrible game overall. <laughs> both sides, both sides terrible. Um, but it did not instill any more confidence in, in what I think is going to happen on. Um, tomorrow against Dortmund, the attack still looks pretty messy. Uh, some some slight signs of encouragement. Having Again, Benjo there's a, back, there's a, in. there's a clinical term to all this. It's poo poo. You keep yeah, that. yes, it still is. Yes, um, right now our best attacking move is still, and it, this was this was basically our best attacking move for a lot of last season as well. When he when Benjoa was available, uh, is that kind of a diagonal ball to him making the runs in behind like, like that's that's always great to have but um the attack has not progressed anymore in the one week since since the Southampton loss uh and i just don't know if i see this team putting it together for against Dortmund uh they'll be at home they'll be the atmosphere i i'm still even as someone who's watched the last few Dortmund games, <laughs> yeah, they are still getting these positions where they almost concede a goal a lot, and and some like great lastage defending or great goalkeeping is is uh, either getting them the wins or keeping them um, from dropping points. So I think the chances will be there, but I don't know if the chances are going to be like created like as a team. <laughs> There's still great individual players on on Chelsea that that can score um, can sometimes score out of nothing yeah this I, is a very I, slender lead by the way like this is yeah, not like one now one by three goals this is right look i still think Dortmund go through right they're having a very very good league campaign but we've just seen a very weird thing happen in football in fact we saw multiple weird things happen in football this weekend so i would not put it past any team to go through yeah i, I think the game will still be very close I'll put it I'll put it that way. Um, on the Tottenham side, they're lost to Wolves this past weekend. Uh, one 0 loss, conceding a goal to Adama Traore in twenty twenty three. Tough. Just 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 so few teams do it. It's twenty twenty three. Like I get it. He was great. He he had a great. That great one season a couple of years ago, but outside of that, you're conceding goals to him. It's a really tough look. Uh, but overall, you know, this. Luckily for Tottenham, Milan are also in a very weird um, spot this season. They've been very poor defending their title. They lost to Fiorentina over the weekend. This is also only a 1 0 lead, um, and they're playing at uh Tottenham Stadium. So I, I think possibly in the same fate as the Chelsea game, like it's you don't have a lot of hope. I don't think you have a lot of hope that 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 they're gonna win like something's gonna click and oh they're gonna start playing this great football and and, and be able to to dominate Milan. Um but they have great players. They have they still have great individual players. I still I, I would Probably still bet on Tottenham overall quality better, being better than AC Milan right now. But 
Either way, I think this is going to be another really close, really, really close one. I think this is going to be closer than the Chelsea Dortmund game. I'll come out and say that. Um, I don't know if you agree, but I do think it's a little bit more moments-based than it is game-based, if that makes sense. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised to see either team go through, quite frankly. Um, is, that, is that everything? I know you didn't want to talk more about the Chelsea game, so no, no, that wraps. No, that's 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 it. No, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna subject you or any of (laughs) our our listeners to 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 more talk about a tenth place team than is necessary. Thank you, that's much appreciated. All right, well, we'll take a quick break. We'll talk about the rest of La Liga, and then we'll wrap up. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the podcast. Welcome back to the La Liga portion. We're going to talk everything Spain, and just like in the Premier League, we also had a really, really wildly large result in, in La Liga this weekend. Our game of the weekend is the Atletico Madrid against Sevilla matchup, Rian 6-1 to Atletico. We talked a little bit about this yesterday, and it's kind of a shame because I think we made some, some valid points. I feel like ESPN does not do as great of a job in actually broadcasting and the commentary and everything like that behind La Liga for, for at least the U S based like broadcast. It's quite a shame because this was a very good game to watch, like very entertaining on par, in my opinion, with the Liverpool United game, obviously not as big of a Derby, anything like that. But in terms of the quality of football, it was incredible. Memphis Depay on his first start uh, for Atletico scores two goals. The last player to do that for Atletico, I think, was over 10, 15 years ago at this point. But there were some very weird similarities between the Liverpool game and the Atletico game, which are two teams that probably want nothing to do with each other, ironically. Atletico Madrid had, I think it was almost 50% of their shots were on target. Not to say that, of course, that was exactly like Liverpool, but that is above average for Atletico. In fact, extremely above average to have a majority of, almost a majority of their shots on target. Liverpool, of course, doing something similar, except for it was seven out of eight, which is just statistically like in the fourth deviation of (laughs) standard deviations. It's not even close. Um, But probably one of my favorite parts of this entire matchup was Alvaro Morata coming on for a nice little under 30 minute cameo, scoring two goals from exactly 1.0 XG and then just going home, <laughs> just putting up a nice stat pad, going home to his wonderful Madrid based based home and um, and quietly, I think, having a good season. Griezmann had probably one of his best games of the season. That's saying something for a player that's been very informed since the World Cup. Nine progressive carries across the entire uh, game, the highest amongst both teams, and he ran the show. He had multiple assists. I believe it was two assists, uh, both from Memphis to <laughs> And quite frankly, Atletico are the most confusing team in Spain to me because they will do something like this and then go on to draw in the next game. But over the, I want to say, let's see here. Over their last three games, I want to say, well, their last three out of four have been wins by, um, I want to say, no, my math is, what's today? Today's March 6th, right? Monday, March 6th? Yeah. Okay. So outside of the Madrid Derby, which they drew um, to 
obviously Real Madrid, their last four, three out of four games have been one nil wins in classic Atletico fashion. One of which was a draw to Hetafe, but this is an anomaly to me. They have been playing very well and they have been dominating games, but you don't see this from an Atletico side. So that can only lead me to think, Rian, that Sevilla are truly a dumpster fire and will continue to be through the rest of the season. Yeah, uh, you're not wrong. On that. <laughs> and not much has changed. They did have a good run. What was it? About five games where they didn't lose. Uh, and it looked like they were starting to turn it around. But again, the, the underlying numbers are, are still one of the worst in the league. And and in the same way that we talked about it with Leicester, like Sevilla, they are they are deservedly one of the worst <laughs> like down in that relegation area, right? Um but you could you kinda hit on uh Murata there and I just wanted to talk a bit about Antoine Griezmann, who you know, you, you threw a couple stats in here, but just the unbelievable season that he's having on like both sides of the ball, really. Like a, a guy who is top ten in the league in goals and assists in non penalty expected goals and expected assists, uh top ten in terms of goal creating actions, key passes, and then you throw on top of all of that that for midfielders, he's in the ninety ninth percentile in terms of tackles and interceptions. Or sorry, for, sorry for forwards in the top ten, um, or ninety ninth percentile for tackles and interceptions. So the guy's literally doing everything for this. Like he he is doing everything for this team. And if you want to just look at a reason why they've been really able to turn their season around, it's probably been like it coincided with the greater and greater focus on. Griezmann as the focal point of the entire team. For some reason, I can't find the unmute button, but I found it now. Um, yeah, Griezmann has become the focal point, and I, I like that you said that, and I like that you phrased it that way because every attack seemingly goes through him. But the reason why it goes through him is because he's been handed a free roam, roaming role. That's what I'm trying to say. A free roaming role. And previously at Atletico and certainly not at Barcelona, he did not have the ability to go horizontally across the field. Now he is a able to do that when he feels it's necessary. And B he has Yannick Carrasco on his left-hand side. So that was previously an area that either he would have to cover himself when Carrasco was out injured, or he was just not in this team. And all he has to focus on now is dispensing the ball forward because of a player like Memphis Depay. And I think that connection is going to be something that we continue to see between now and the end of the season. I don't think Atletico are, I mean, look, they are in a slight risk of falling out of top four just based on their position in the table. But I really don't think they are, especially based off of this performance. They're tied, not tied. They're one point ahead of Sociedad on, um, 45 and 44 respectively. But quite frankly, I think Atletico are hitting their stride at the exact right time. Anything else that you'd like to say about uh, Sevilla though? I'm curious if you have any thoughts on the team because I'll just share one, one piece of information. I think this is 
possibly like one of Manchi's greatest disappointments uh, just as a sporting director and as a famed sporting director as well. I don't think it's been talked enough just how poorly this backline truly has been. And I actually really feel bad for Nyanzu, who came from Bayern. He's only 20, but has made some really, really critical errors that have led directly to goals or directly to big, big chances. And they're almost, not all, obviously, but a lot of it is individual errors. And I'm sure Manchi is trying to figure out who to bring in the summer already because it's it's really it's dire. It it truly feels dire for a club like Sevilla. Yeah, I don't have a lot more to add. You know, they're in the bottom five in terms of expected goal difference. They are generally one of the worst teams in Spain. Right? And I'm with you. I'm very very disappointed with that transfer window. That's that. The squad management, basically, um, from Manchi, who you noted, he's he's right up there with like one of the best like um, sporting directors in Europe. It's like him, uh, Luis Campos. You know, there's definitely a couple other guys that I'm missing there. Oh, Chiki Chiki Ber- Um and and he's in that like elite level. Like, oh, he's been thought of in that elite level, and and this has been just really really poor. Um, the last 12 months here, not only just selling you know, your two best defenders, but the hallmark of a good sporting director is the ability to replace them and, and the levels not to drop as drastically as they have this season. Yeah, that's a super fair point. I think um, I, we've talked a lot about Sevilla this season, so I'm not going to bore anyone else with, with more details. Um, but I do want to at least just give a, a small shout out just on the surprises or the flowers portion of this for Spain. Um, Real Betis, of course, drawing Real Madrid yesterday. Um, Joaquin came on in the last five minutes of this game. I, I forget how old he is now. He's definitely in his forties. I'm fairly certain he's in his forties. Um, excuse me, but yes, he's 41. Um, he has now played, I found this out today, against top flight footballers that were born in both 1968 and now 2004. That is an absurd range. That could be a lifetime range for a human being. Um, granted, he came onto the scene, obviously, in like what feels like the early 2000s or uh, probably late 90s at this point. But um, just, a, just a nice shout out to to really speak to the longevity of a player like Joaquin. So anyway, with that, Rian, the last piece of this I just want to touch on was the disappointment that is Real Madrid not scoring. I I don't know the last time they have scored, actually. <laughs> they scored five, of course, against Liverpool with only nine shots. Uh, they have not scored with any one of their last 46 attempts on goal in all competitions. That includes, of course, the Copa del Rey, um, the El Clasico, I, I did not just say the El Clasico, the, the El Clasico, the, the, the Clasico is what I just said. But anyway, um, <laughs> they have not scored with any of their last 46 shots and they failed to score in their last two games in all competitions. That is as many times as in their previous 39 games, basically an entire league campaign. Do, are you concerned about Real Madrid at all, especially having seen what we saw with Liverpool yesterday now? <laughs> 
I, I don't know how concerned I am about that second leg. Although, you know, we did see it at least twice in the Champions League last season that Madrid were completely outplayed in the Bernabeu, <laughs> only to score in the last like five to ten minutes to to save their asses, <laughs> right? And uh, so it, it's not inconceivable that we could see Liverpool go. And I, I, I joked about it last week. Them scoring the first three goals. Uh, and then conceding with like two minutes left to go to extra time and then, and the, um, or, or sorry, to go out, <laughs> uh, to Madrid. But uh, overall, it's, it's a team that's still very reliant on Karen Benzema's goal scoring, right? And the, the big difference this season is that he just hasn't been as healthy as he has been in the last, um, couple seasons, right? And, that's kind of the whole risk of, of what I've been talking about with the squad for feels like a, at least a year now. Right. Um, so I, I, I would be concerned about, I am concerned about them long-term for sure. And uh, even if we're thinking about short-term, I, they'll be fine. They'll finish top four. I, I don't think they're going to, I didn't think they were going to win the league as of like a couple of weeks ago, realistically. <laughs> so I, so I'm still in the same camp, but uh, I, I do think that the rest of the season could be a bit of a slog for them if Benz was not 100% fit and also in the exact same form that he's that he was in last season. Yeah, because that form was, I mean, it was literally, it wasn't just world class, it was Ballon d'Or level of form and that carried them through a Champions League campaign, through a league campaign. They're, they're not the same team that they were last season. And quite frankly, the team that they were last season was still probably not enough to win the Champions League in almost any other season, statistically speaking. So I think we're both worried about them long-term. I would say I'm probably even more worried about them than I was last weekend, um, given both the Classico happened and now this game against Betis. It, yeah, I, I'm, I'm growing a little bit more concerned actually about that second leg against Liverpool. I'll, I'll leave it at that for our Liverpool fans to meander on over the next week. So anyway, with that, ladies and gentlemen, thank you as always for listening. We'll be back in a couple days talking all of, of course, the Champions League action, the the league action coming up this, this weekend. Um, and who knows what else happens between now and then. So thanks everyone for listening. Take care. Thanks guys.